Hello and welcome to Dive In With Me, the podcast produced, researched and recorded by the Fondation Aimé. In this podcast, we try to shine a light on the importance and the power of music on people. In this episode, we are talking to Bradley Travis. Bradley Travis was born in Cheshire and studied at the Royal Northern College of Music and the Royal College of Music International Opera School. His most important opera roles include Figaro in Le Nozze di Figaro and Masetto in Don Giovanni. Bradley also performed in one in Williams Serenade to Music at the 2016 Last Night of the Proms at the Royal Albert Hall. He is also the associate artist at English Touring Opera, commissioning, directing and writing new operas for children, devising and leading workshops and curating their learning and participation output. In this episode, we dive into the subject of operas for sound audiences why we should continue producing and composing special operas, what makes them so special, and we also talk about the image of opera singers and musicians. Also, you will hear me confuse Mozart's Little Night Music with Queen of the Night for whatever reason. So, have fun! Hi Bradley, how are you? I'm good. Hi Sarah, how are you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine. It's sunny in Luxembourg, so that's really good. And I see it's sunny with you as well. It's really sunny and it's really warm, actually. So it's very nice, quite unusual. Uh, yeah. Actually, last last week or so, it's been quite warm in London. So yeah, it's been nice. Yeah, here as well. And it was like summer before summer, because I think today or tomorrow is summer solstice, no? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think, yeah, today maybe is the longest day. Even yeah. last night, it was very, very light late on. And we were like, oh, yeah, it's, t it's tomorrow. So, yeah. <laughs> so to start uh, this podcast, so we ask everyone what's their favorite music. So what's your favorite music? So I'm going to give you, I'm going to really sit on the fence and give you like a, a, a very on-brand answer, being from an opera company, and then also uh, sort of more popular music answer. So uh, my favourite opera, and probably my favourite composer, uh, so the favourite opera is Le Nozze di Figaro, uh, and favourite composer is Mozart. Uh, and I think uh, one of the main reasons, I mean, I've always loved Mozart, but one of the main reasons is that Figaro in the Marriage of Figaro was the first like major role that that I did in in like uh, both at college so when I was learning and then also professionally so it's got a really like special place in my heart and I mean you can't beat Mozart it's just incredible and then my sort of less uh, classical music <laughs> answer is that I love I've always loved Billy Joel uh, and uh, my uh, that definitely comes from my dad you know big big Billy Joel fan and just singer songwriter stuff. Always loved those sort of yeah, Billy Joel, uh, Ben Folds, Elton John. You know all those sort of artists. But yeah, Billy Joel, I would you know listen to when I'm just relaxing. Nice, good choice. I like your mm -hmm. I like your style. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already talked about opera now a little bit, and that's also how we came to know each other. Um, you were working at uh, English Touring Opera, so maybe you can explain what English Touring Opera is doing and also what's your role within it. Sure. So English Touring Opera is a, 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 a national um, touring 
organization in the UK, uh, and we take uh, opera all around the country. Uh, so we go to as far south, for those listeners who know, we go as far south as Cornwall in England. And then we, we have in the past been up to Scotland, uh, to Perth in Scotland, and lots and lots of places in between. So we're kind of what you call a mid-scale touring company, that we go to a lot of mid-scale theatres, which are around, uh, you know, 600 to 1,000 seats. But And so we take operas like The Marriage of Figaro, like Tosca, like whatever, to bigger theatres. But then alongside that, we have quite an extensive um, learning programme. So for young people and for adults, uh, and we go around schools um, all around the country. So, for example, in the tour that we just did, that just finished at the end of May, uh, we had an opera for seven to 11-year-olds, which went into schools. Uh, that was called The Wish Gatherer. And then uh, I think we had about 36 performances around the country. And then we also had an opera for um, people with special needs um, called Zoo, which we'll come on to later. But Zoo, which uh, had, uh, I think it was around 25 performances around the country. So we engaged with around uh, I mean, nearly 7,000 uh, young people across those two shows. And my role for the company is that I'm now the head of learning and participation. So I'm responsible for those sort of school tours and all of the workshops that go alongside that. And and my background actually is that I came to the company singing roles, I mean, like Figaro, I was in uh, Mazzetto and Don Giovanni and all sorts of other roles, but I was doing the um, the young people's work at the same time uh, and really, really loved it and sort of thought, wow, this is where the most important work is going on. Um, so, yeah, and then I ended up when my predecessor, Tim Yeland, who um, um, has come to Luxembourg a few times, uh, uh, when he left, um, I came into this role. Nice. And I didn't know, so I, I, I read about the Wish Gatherer, but I didn't really yeah. quite know that it was like for schools. Um, yeah. So is that an original piece that was written especially for school audiences? Yeah, yeah. So that was written for school audiences um, in the same way that Zoo is, but for different school audiences. So, yeah, so it's um, that one is the first in our kind of um, environmental climate change trilogy that we're doing. Uh, so the Wish Gatherer really focuses or focused uh, on nature and on protecting the planet uh, and I mean, the, the real central uh, theme of it was uh, planting seeds, actually, and that it was all about embracing nature. And that, that there was an evil character called the Muddia, which was sort of like an embodiment of uh, urbanization and, uh, you know, global warming. And then uh, there were, it was kind of a magical tale with some beautiful music. And in those shows that we take into schools, the, all of the young people learn uh, songs in advance so then when we come into the school they're like a huge opera chorus so we'll have like 200 kids singing with us which is great nice i, I have a really bad pun about planting seeds so you're planting seeds yeah. through music <laughs> exactly planting seeds through music that should be our slogan that should be what it is <laughs> i want credit for it <laughs> And um, yeah, so maybe um, why, so, but why didn't you, or like, yeah, you, as you said, uh, you have like this uh, school program and then you have like the send audiences program as well. So what's the difference between the two and what can we understand uh, from 
planned audiences because in Luxembourg we don't use that terminology. Um, so mm. what are send audiences? Sure. Uh, send in the UK stands for special educational needs and disabilities. And then we often uh, sort of shorten it to SEND. Um, and the, the, what we try and do with the shows that we make is that we make them super specific to the audiences that we're um, kind of visiting. So that's why the Wish Gatherer was very specific to that age group, that 7 to 11 age group, and had lots of um, our kind of national curriculum links so that teachers in the schools can draw uh, their teaching directly into bringing that opera into the schools. And then send audiences are um, audiences with a, a wide range of disabilities. So you might have some young people who are on the autistic spectrum disorder, or you'll have young people with Down syndrome, or there'll be uh, much more sort of profound and multiple learning disabilities. And uh, it really is a huge range. And when we go into um, uh, special schools, as we have in the, in the UK, which are um, specialised for uh, kind of having those young people learn with them and, and dealing with their needs, their very particular needs, um, you know, we go into those schools and there's a massive range of abilities. And that's where the the shows that we make for those audiences have to be super flexible and have to kind of, I guess, tick a lot of, of boxes and um, make it accessible for lots and lots of different needs. Um, so, so that's kind of what, um, what we term send audiences. And so like you base the whole production and, and conceptualizing of that opera around those needs. So really exactly, you take yeah. everything in account. So I can imagine that when you started creating those, I know that it wasn't with, I think it was Tim, no, that started yeah, Tim, doing yeah. them. Um, so do you know how he came to do it? How like, yeah, I, I think that he kind of saw a gap in the market. And I feel like in a way the gap is, well, it's not there because we're in it, but I mean, it's still there in a way that you don't see m many organizations doing such specifically this kind of work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Tim had worked doing workshops in special schools. Um, and, you know, I said earlier that I was like, wow, this is where the real important work is going on. And it was in one of those sort of workshops that I was like, wow, you know, we were working with a group of young people like 15 16 year olds who were in a, a special school in south london and we were actually making this is my bed and it will come on to like workshopping these operas but we were making the opera this is my bed that came to luxembourg a few years ago and i was just like wow this is incredible and i think what tim saw uh, years back when he was doing these workshops was that there was a real opportunity to make shows which were specific to these young people's needs which would not only enhance their enjoyment of the operas and of music, they would actually um, have benefits to their mental health. They would potentially have benefits to um, sort of their motor skills. Uh, you know, we see incredible stuff. I mean, even when I've performed in Luxembourg, uh, you know, you'll see in one performance that you might get uh, this incredible moment where someone comes up and joins you on stage. I mean, sometimes you get people joining you on stage for the whole show, which is just amazing. Or you'll get like someone who has really complex um, needs might just look at you, make eye contact, which for them is a huge thing. And actually, 
even us going into schools, we don't know that it's huge until the carer tells us, do you know what, they haven't looked at someone for two months or something. I think it has the power of the power of music. And what what we try and do is that we look at all these different needs and we find participatory elements of the show that we will then um, put in there. So every single song, when we're in the development of the show, we'll be like, okay, what's the participatory thing in this song because everyone you know you can't have a moment in these shows that kind of goes that sags Mm -hmm. and you know you've got to keep the participation going because they're the bits that you can see really engage with the audience so where a a, a, you know a young autistic person might come up on stage and might be very sort of involved uh maybe we'll say this is a classic one from our shows is we need a bus driver or we need someone to come up and do that, you know, they'll come up, they'll hold the steering wheel, they'll have the hat. And for them, that's like an amazing, amazing moment. And then uh, in contrast to that, another um, participatory element that we might have might be that we just have a very soft thing that we're saying, oh, this is really soft. And then we'll go to a young person or an older person uh, who might just be in a bed. You know, they might have been brought in on a bed because their needs are such that they need to be lying down. We'll go to them at the back of the hall and they can just very softly touch this thing, which accompanying with the music that's been specially commissioned to come in on it, uh, that will be a moment for them. Um, so, and we really, really believe in this cause and effect thing. And what I mean by that is that when someone does something, that they see an effect happening. And perhaps to those of us who um, don't have complex needs or don't have particular needs we might think well you know i can see that i'm doing this and it's not directly making that happen but in the past and there's a similar one to this in um, zoo which you'll see um uh, we've had uh we had this crazy um character who had very, very long hair and we went round and you know all the people in the audience were able to grab the hair or like touch the hair um and uh, what that would do it was, is that would either make the trumpet player play or the or the um, cello the cellist play, um, and that could direct cause and effect because the young people think that they're directly doing that, and mm-hmm. that gives them great sort of ownership and great, uh, I guess, joy that they're making something happen, which is beautiful and has um, you know resonance. I can remember that in the last one that you did here in Luxembourg was bird watching, yeah. and I think your title was Extraordinary Tales. No, wasn't it? No, no that's not the same thing. Was, uh, bird watching wax wings. Wax wings. Wax wings. Yeah. And in in wax wings slash bird watching, you also had like this scene. Oh, I think also with hair, like they had like to to pull, and then oh yeah, yeah, and then a trumpet player played as well. Exactly, yeah. And that was so yeah. much fun. They were all laughing so, so much. I think we could have gone on with that for like 30 minutes. And- I know, that, that's the thing. Uh, it, particularly those moments that you sort of think, wow, we could do this with every audience member. And actually it would hold, you know, yeah. the, the room would hold. And th- there's a moment in Zoo actually where we go into the rainforest house. And that is kind of a, what we call in these shows like a placeholder moment where we don't know how it's how we don't know how long it's going to take so we just do it that all of the cast have got different things that they're using to interact with the audience 
and they go around. So someone's got a little spray bottle that's making it feel like uh, there's the mist in the air, like when you go into a rainforest house in a, in a zoo. Uh, people have got different puppets. There's uh, there's uh, leaves, and then there's we we've got an arch that has sort of dangly leaves that we take people up and bring them through. So there's beautiful sort of opportunities that they actually feel like they're there. Um, and there's another moment in Zoo, which is similar to the hair moment, which is uh, we, we meet a flea. So a flea that we we, we can't see, but um, we look at the flea under a microscope and then uh, we sort of say, oh, do you want to tickle the flea? So the, the flea is being tickled on someone's back. And again, the, the trumpet player has just their mouthpiece. And so they're making just a very buzzy sound, which is like, you know, that of the flea going mm-hmm. around. And then we say... Oh, the flea's on you, and then they're like, ah. uh, and uh, I mean, it, it's it's really fun, but that's a similar sort of cause and effect moment. No, uh, yeah, and about the flea, there's like a a German children's song that every Luxembourgish kids know oh, yeah. about the flea. I, I will send it to you before uh, oh, yes, before coming do. over. Yeah, maybe you can include it because it's it's like a really fun song about this flea that's jumping around on a wall. And nobody can see it, but it dances around and it's really fun. Ah, uh, I will send it over to you. Send it. No, I. yeah, that's a great idea because it might be able to get, you know, one of the casts to learn it and just at that moment bring it in because then there'll be, yeah, there'll be some recognition of of the song. That'd yeah. be amazing. So, yeah, we've talked quite a bit about Zoom now. So just to give a bit more context also on how our collaboration started. So I know that um, Amy and EGO started working together in 2011, 2012. Um, And I think the first one was red, blue, green, if I remember well. That's right, yeah. Um, And so the idea was to bring you over to Luxembourg, to bring this opera that you have uh, to the Philharmonie to take over of the Philharmonie. So basically around the date that we are showing the opera, we are the only ones still producing something because it's quite at the end of the season of the Philharmonie. And then for three days, we have 10 to 11 shows, uh, which are always quite full uh, <laughs> with uh, sound audiences. And they come to the Philharmonie by bus and then they take part of the show and go back home afterwards. And it's like really this fixed um, time in their calendars as well. So every year <laughs> after the show, they ask us for the new dates for the, <laughs> for the <laughs> next year. <laughs> And so Zoo is now being produced uh, next week, so from 27th to 29th of June, and you will be coming over. So can you talk a bit uh, of about the story of Zoo and what will happen? Because this will be aired after it, so we can, you can give quite some spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Zoo, um, we meet uh, the main character, Ari, and Ari is on their first day at the zoo. Um, and Ari's given a job to uh, basically watch a tree frog. Uh, so it's a uh, tree frog, which we have a beautiful puppet that we had made. So obviously tree frogs are usually quite small. Uh, but our tree frog uh, is about the size of two footballs put together. So it's quite quite a large, a large tree frog. Uh, but that's just, just so everyone can see it moving around. And so Ari is charged with looking after the tree frog and taking it to its new home in the rainforest house. Uh, but unfortunately, Ari loses the tree frog. So then the whole show is about sort of trying to find the tree frog. And and she meets 
and uh, the zoo shuts. So then it's nighttime uh, and uh, Ari then meets all different animals around the zoo, asking them, uh, you know, have you seen the tree frog? Uh, and what we do when we meet all these different characters is that we learn how to communicate with them. We wanted to sort of uh, to recognize that we all communicate in different ways. And I think that's it's something quite beautiful working with these audiences that they all commute, communicate in very different ways and uh, showing that these characters in the show also communicate in different ways. So we'll meet um, an owl who we have to say to it, to, to. So we, we, the audience and the owl talk to each other. Then we meet a parrot who we have to talk very quickly to. We have to make very fast sounds. Uh, so then the parrot has a very fast uh, aria. Um, we also meet a sloth who we have to speak very slowly to, which is, uh, we've had some really beautiful moments on the tour in England, actually, with uh, uh, a young person came up and they're, they're told to say, hello, sloth, as slow as they can. So they come up and they go, huh? Oh, sloth. And then this is the first time that we hear the sloth talk. And the actor who we've got coming over to be the sloth is hilarious. So it's this guy called Phil Wilcox, who is absolutely brilliant. And he turned around and did this incredibly slow hello. And they'd already, they'd also got the young person's name. So they said their name and they just turned to the audience and were like, I made the sloth talk. It was just <laughs> the most amazing, amazing moment. But that's one of those like, beautiful things. So the sloth's got a really great sort of jazzy song. Then we meet the warthog. And the warthog um, is very confident. But the warthog has the flea on, on them. So it's warthog and flea are a little um, duo. Uh, and then finally we meet the very um, sage character of the purple turtle. So the purple turtle encourages Ari just to lay back and um, just daydream a little, and then maybe she'll find the tree frog. And then, you know, lo and behold, after Ari's had a little daydream, tree frog turns up. Where, where else would tree frog be but at the top of a tree? So um, it's a really hilarious, um, uh, quite silly story. But the song's are really excellent. And I think it's got a very, very clear narrative, which I think in these shows is really important because, um, I mean, sometimes the stories have been more complex or more weird, but this one, I think, because it's very clear that, yeah, they've been sometimes very weird, but it's very clear that we are trying to find the tree frog. We meet characters along the way, then we find the tree frog and everything's good. And I think that sort of clarity we found on the tour that the audiences really appreciate that. Um, because another another thing with these shows is that they can very easily get quite hectic. And that's because often the young people are very excited. They want to get very involved. Um, but um, it, it's kind of working against that excitement, but keeping everything calm. So that's sort of the thing that, that goes on. I mean, there are moments of excitement, but then if you can bring it back to calm, then that's that's a good thing. So that's that's Zoo, and I think it's going to be a big, a lovely success. <laughs> nice. I'm so much looking forward to it. I'm, I'm really... When you come here, I just want to be part of every single show because every single yeah. show is different. Um, yeah. And it's just so nice to see how the audience reacts to you and... I mean, we, we not only have kids in the audiences, we also have uh, adults sometimes coming in. Yeah. 
And it's just so nice to see when everybody's really into the story and then they participate and uh, by the end of it, they sometimes sing with you as well and they really interact with you and it's just so lovely to see. And yeah, I'm, I'm really a big fan of this and you've, you've talked about weird stories. And one of the weirdest ones that I remember is different, but it's yes. also my favorite one, honestly. Yeah. Um, so to give a big, a bit of background to it, so different was, I think in 2018. Um, yeah, yeah, it was that we did it and you've created it in collaboration with Turtle Key Arts with the Key Club. Um, and it has this like really chaotic story and with like these two boys, wasn't it? The two, yeah, the two boys that were living in tents in, it wasn't very clear if they were living in the forest or not. They just lived in tents. And they were two Polish brothers because it just happened to be that Jan uh, Sapinski and Maciek O'Shea, who were the two that, um, well, Jan is properly Polish and uh, Maciek is, is half Polish. And so Tim just, well, Tim and actually Key Club uh, took that opportunity that at points in the story, they just spoke to each other in Polish. Um, you know, everywhere, you know, whether it was in England or in Luxembourg. And it was this great thing. that, And then they met um, uh, a woman in the woods and um, she becomes pregnant. Uh, and then she gave birth to puppies. So <laughs> see, the sort of, but the re- I mean, the reason that the story is is amazingly bizarre is because we had this collaboration with Key Club um, that are a, a group that Turtle Key Arts run uh, with young people um, with autism, young autistic people uh, who are sort of 14, 16, maybe even 18-year-olds. year, old, year olds. Uh, And um, it's a group that runs weekly, I think. And over a few weeks, Tim went in and worked with them uh, to uh, basically come up with, with the story. So he said, he said to them, what happens? You know, what happens in this story? And I know from speaking to Charlotte Cunningham, who's artistic director at Turtle uh, Key Arts, that it's still one of the projects that Key Club, uh, you know, talk about the most because they're kind of like, well, at least Tim listened to us and he actually put our ideas in the story. You know, and that's the amazing thing, that mm-hmm. giving them kind of autonomy and ownership of of the story and then when they saw it they were like yeah that was my bit um and it was the same when we did this is my bed and it was with a a school in Wimbledon like I said Mm -hmm. that when the young people came to see the show actually for us you know uh me and Abigail Kelly particularly who was performing in it we found it incredibly emotional because then when a young man Dan came up to be the bus driver it had been his idea to have a bus and it had been his idea and he was the original bus driver. And it was just kind of this amazing moment of, wow, now he's doing it in the show. And it it is really cool, but it does mean that sometimes the stories are a little bizarre and weird, (laughs) which I love. I mean, it gives us a total free reign and opportunity to kind of be like, yeah, well now we're going to Pluto. Why not? You know, why not? That's, well, that's I mean, the next thing to happen. Why can't a woman suddenly be pregnant and then give birth to puppies? It made sense. Wow. Honestly, it, it made sense. sense. No. <laughs> why can't I be a purple turtle? <laughs> you can be. Everyone can be a purple turtle. Don't worry. That is actually a really, when you hear that song, it is, uh, it's, it's a really great song. It's a good and one. And so 
how do you do how do you create the songs that go with the story are you writing the story first and then the songs are you commissioning the music yeah usually, usually that way yeah so usually there'll be a certain amount of work to figure out what the story is going to be and then whoever's writing the words um will write all of the words so that the, the text will be done first and then with zoo then that text was sent to uh to the composer Lucy Treacher, who is a really fantastic composer. The interesting thing about Purple Turtle is Purple Turtle actually almost was the inspiration for this project because Purple Turtle we commissioned a while ago as a standalone song in, in, in our, we did a online series of workshops during the lockdowns uh, about different colors, which I ran online, which you can see on ETO's YouTube. That And when the purple one, the song was Purple Turtle. And I was just like, oh, my God, Lucy's written such a great song. This is like a it's a it's a really, really brilliant, catchy song. Uh, and then so then I thought, I think Lucy would be a great person to write our next opera and we need to include Purple Turtle. So then that was the inspiration that it had to be something where Purple Turtle would make at least a little bit of sense to include. So Purple <laughs> Turtle is like is older than is older than the show. Um, it's very much in the operatic tradition, I guess, of taking stuff from a previous thing and putting it in, yeah. <laughs> in a different piece. <laughs> That's true. Um, and also, I think what changed this year is that you were able to send us some material to send to the schools um, that yeah. they can use beforehand. Uh, and I saw on your website that you call those social stories. Can you like exactly, yeah. tell us a bit more about those? Yeah, so um, my my colleague uh, uh, Maddie Barnes, who's the the assistant producer for all of this stuff, she she came in in September actually, and uh, she'd got this experience of of doing these ac what we call as access packs, um, and what um, a social story, which is part of the access pack, basically is uh, sort of a short, very simple description of uh, certain. Uh, moments or um, certain situations or events um, which is accompanied by symbols very simple symbols and we worked with a company called widget who actually make and uh, commission these symbols uh, so what we created for this tour was uh, we created a social story which was um, uh, what is opera so it's a social story which kind of goes through and it, it, it explains what an opera is Uh, and then the other social story that we made was uh, what happens when the opera comes to your school or in the case of um, the Philharmonie, what happens when the opera comes to the Philharmonie, which we work with you to make um, Luxembourgish uh, social stories, which I know that Maddie really enjoyed. Uh, so that, that was really great. And what it can do is that it can relieve some of the anxiety that some of the young people might feel about new events. Uh, because then in the time working up to it, it's another reason why we send songs in advance, in advance often, uh, that uh, the teachers can be working with them and saying, in a few weeks, we're going to see this thing. Uh, this is what it is. Let's look at these symbols together uh, and then let's listen to the music. And then the feedback that we get is that when the young people actually come and see the show, they're much more relaxed of like, oh, I know what's going to happen and this is the order in which it's going to happen. Uh, there's all sorts of different uses for, so for social stories um, that it could be more about routines and, you know, what, what a, uh, you know, going to school, what does it mean to be having your dinner or getting 
stress or all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's very useful for these events that might not be so um, normal in, in their lives. And I also feel like it should be available to everyone because honestly, not everybody everybody's used to going to concerts or operas. Um, and this may also take away some of the fears that people can have uh, going yeah. into a concert hall um, or going into an opera. And I, I really enjoyed it when I when I saw what what she did uh, with the socials. How really like step by step she explained what would happen. Like um, we are yeah, what is an opera? And then there are singers, and singers play a role. Um, and that role uh, in that role, some things can happen, but that doesn't mean that the singers uh, sad or angry. Yeah. If the role is sad or angry. Um, so that they shouldn't take it personally, for example, but also, yeah. um, in the second one, like we will go see a show, a show has lights and then we will yeah. take the bus to go to the show. And I was really, really enjoying it. And this got me thinking about how we could maybe make, um, concert halls and opera houses more accessible also in that way that mm. we can explain to people how, what will happen exactly and that they shouldn't fear what's happening because honestly there's nothing to fear uh, and totally agree. no barrier and everybody should just enjoy themselves and also people are sometimes having routines and or don't know <laughs> what would happen yeah. and or yeah or can like um uh yeah they don't know how to handle like some situations and i yeah i was really really glad to see what you did and Mm. And I found it really interesting. And I think we can learn so much from those social stories. Yeah, I agree. I think that, so, like you said, so much of what makes people nervous about coming to concerts or things is actually the process. And and the actual place itself can be quite uh, nerve-wracking for people. Mm -hmm. Um Yeah, I, I, we we made them also for the the other schools, what we'd call like the mainstream schools, because we felt that actually, uh, like you said, it's it's relevant to everyone, you mm -hmm. know, and because for them, they if their teacher says the opera is coming to the school, you know, that that's might never have happened before. <laughs> They just be like, well, what do you mean? Do I have to sing? You know, what what was going on? And I think that's the the nice thing about making it m much more accessible. Yeah, and they can also like break down those images that maybe you have in mind when you think about opera. You think maybe yeah. about, so I think for most people, it's just like this singer that sings, I don't know, Mozart, uh, Kleine Nacht, and uh, Little Night Music. Is that yeah. how you call it in Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then maybe they are like afraid of it because they don't really know what's going to happen or is it only going to be like this really loud <laughs> really yeah, high music exactly. all the time so i feel like yeah. Ooh, queen, of night, queen of the uh, night queen of the night yeah. queen of the night yeah. yes sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no i know and it's it, it i think it can be quite surprising when you know the people that perform for us they're just you know just normal people they look normal they you know and i think that that's what we always do with the operas with young for, for young people with special needs particularly is that we'll do Before the show starts, we're like mingling around with puppets, saying hello, you know, saying what our name is, and often using uh, Makaton sign language. Uh, so, and that that sort of breaks down that those boundaries and sort of another way of 
making things more, I think, accessible and inclusive. And could you also imagine like taking one pre-existing opera and just mm. doing those for sent audiences? Or why wouldn't that work? Or why would yeah, would it work or wouldn't it work that well, maybe? I think it's possible. I really think it's possible, but I think it would need like any opera would need massively rewriting to to make it accessible. I mean, probably what I do if I looked at that is I, I do a similar thing to what I said we do with our shows anyway, is that I'd look at every number and I'd think what can be the participation in that. And you sort of because even Red Blue Green actually had pre-existing music, you know, but it was um curated from different things. So I think there was some handle, there was some, you know, there was it was it wasn't a newly commissioned piece, but they were specially chosen things. I think there's there's probably a place for it. I don't think I think we really believe in making things new for these audiences. Um, but there's also, I think there's an argument to say that if you do make a specially curated piece uh, which exposes um, those young people to the great high art that we have, but also with the participation, I think that that could work. But I don't think that it would be um, wise to just perform an opera as it already is to these audiences, um, because I think you're not not kind of recognizing their needs and the fact that it's well number one it's probably too long it's probably uh you know it uh, the themes might not be themes that they can relate to um but the music's great so why not change it up a little bit and add that participation and make it a little bit different i think that could work mm -hmm. yeah and as i said like some operas are so long like <laughs> yeah they're pretty long uh, They're really, really long. Like Mozart was fine. He, he did like three hours max, I think. But like yeah. there are others that take like six, seven hours. <laughs> to yeah, go there's some Wagner like, that of... takes a long time, yeah. which, you know, we don't do any Wagner. <laughs> It's too long. <laughs> great music, okay. great music. But great very long. music, yeah. And also, like as you said, the stories are really accessible and sometimes they are like not quite understandable or you... You really need to to be into that subject and have like made some research before going into it. So it takes some kind of effort. But I also feel like in doing your operas, maybe that that's a stepstone into okay, maybe next time we are going to see the first part of a Mozart um, yeah. opera. Maybe well, the Magic Flute is one the, that. The, yeah. uh, It, it, it is has probably been done the most for children because it's again it's I mean that's a weird story as well you know that's a fantastical kind of weird story with beautiful music and very easily adaptable for young people um so I think I think that's good um also opera like Hansel and Gretel it's already a, a sort of children's fairy tale um but that's it's one of our main sort of goals is that we make opera not scary by making the operas specifically for them so that's what we hope to do yeah i feel like you're achieving that and honestly i really <laughs> like the operas that you do i'm a big fan <laughs> fan of them i'm still yeah talking about them, like years after and singing the songs yeah. like balloon song from 
This is my bad the balloon song. Yeah, <laughs> they really stay with you. I mean, I'm telling you, Purple Turtle is going to be your your new song to put on when is you're Purple just Turtle at home. My new balloon song. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's gonna it's gonna get you. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I, I mean, you're like a really big part of what the foundation is because you've been around since nearly the beginning. We were created in 2009. And then started yeah. doing the shows in 2011. So, like for the past 15 years that we've existed, you've existed alongside with us and always and created um, the highlights, uh, one of the highlights of the season. And I mean, thinking about the 10 years that we celebrated in 2019, yeah. you would like the face of it because we had like your picture with the balloon, with the balloons, like everywhere yeah. for for promo because it was just. It was such a nice picture with the tree balloons, and it just yeah, it was pretty. Said everything that we wanted to to say in one in one picture. So I am really happy that we are still continuing working together, and Me that you're coming coming to Luxembourg next week. Um, and we've quite run out of out of time, so I think we need to wrap it up a bit. Um, sure. But <laughs> do you have any recommendation? For the listeners, like a song or a book or film, anything. Sure. Well, again, I'm going to sort of split split my recommendation. So, uh, if people haven't uh, heard of the the historian Tom Holland, he's got a really fantastic uh, trilogy of books about the fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, so, there's the first one was Rubicon, and then the second one was Dynasty, and then the third one, Pax which is uh, not out yet, but it's going to come out, I think, next month. Uh, so I think they're really good. And then, I mean, like everyone, I think uh, I've been watching the two series that have just finished that I absolutely loved, which if people haven't watched, they really should, are Ted Lasso and, um, mm -hmm. and Succession, which were both, I mean, big, big favourites for us. <laughs> I started Succession when I was travelling, and I still have to continue it. So. You need I, to uh, do it. I mean, it's quite particular as a show, but it's very, very good. It's very good. Okay, nice. So thank you so much for this. I, I really had fun talking to you this morning. Me too. Morning. Thanks, Sarah. And I'm really sad that you are not coming uh, no, to not Luxembourg coming. next week. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really happy happy to to see the show. And also, I know that you have like this YouTube. You've talked about it, this YouTube. Uh, channel from ETO with all the material that you did during COVID uh, for yeah. kids and for sound audiences. So please go look into that. You will add Check the link also to the to the podcast. And then, yeah, I'm hoping to see you around next year. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Bradley. Thanks, Sarah. Good to chat to you. Thank you for listening. Dive In With Me is a podcast by Fondation IME. For more information on our activities, go to fondation-ime.lu. A new episode will be released the first Friday of every month. See you soon.